Welcome to Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. Hi, my name is Charles Ree, Cowan's Healthcare Technology Analyst, and welcome to a special Cowan Future Health podcast. Today's podcast is part of a series for our 2021 Cowan Future Health Conference, bringing together thought leaders, innovators, and investors to discuss how the convergence of healthcare, technology, and consumerism is changing the way we look at health, healthcare, and the healthcare system. And joining me today to, uh, to speak on the future of healthcare benefits is Ali Diab, a co-founder and CEO of Collective Health. Ali founded Collective Health in 2013 to help consumers better understand, navigate, and use their health benefits. And Collective prides itself on delivering an unparalleled member experience while also allowing self-funded employers to administer plans, control costs, and take care of their people all in one place. Ali, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Charles. It's great to see you after such a long time. Yeah, same, same here. So, you know, I, I think for the uh, benefit of our listeners, uh, you know, maybe uh, talk about... Um, you know uh, how you how you started Collective Health. Uh, I think you had a really great story here that kind of led to uh, you you moving this direction. Yeah, I mean, maybe even rewinding the tape before that. I mean, I'm a, I'm a consumer product guy, as you know, by by background, and so I had actually no interest in healthcare, in spite of being the son and sibling of physicians. Um, I heard enough about the idiosyncrasies and complexities of healthcare healthcare to kind of veer very far away from them for most of my career. Um, and then I think as is the case with a lot of founders, um, I actually got quite ill in early 2013, was hospitalized with an unforeseen and very serious illness that put me in the hospital for several weeks. Um, I incurred a multi-hundred-thousand-dollar hospital bill, um, you know, came home very deconditioned from that experience, only to discover, you know, a few weeks after that, that my health insurance company had denied about half of my billed hospital charges um, for reasons that were completely you know, indecipherable to me. And the experience of trying to understand why that was the case and advocating for myself in this pretty labyrinthine US healthcare system is actually what drove me to want, at the time, very naively, to create a kinder, gentler health insurance company. That was what I thought we would be building. Um, obviously, that's not what we ended up building, as you know. But that was sort of the genesis for collective health. And, and if I can summarize it, Collective Health is an enterprise software and service company that enables self-insured employers to create and deliver employee health benefit plans with a lot better user experience for the members, for the employees and their dependents, a lot better insight for the employers, the benefit leaders and finance leaders within that organization, and a lot greater flexibility to craft those plans, especially as healthcare you know, goes through a period of what I think is unprecedented transformation, you know, the proliferation of digital health programs, different kinds of network configurations, provider, buyer, provider, employer, healthcare delivery models, et cetera. We're really trying to enable the future, we say, of healthcare. Yeah. Uh, and, and before we move on, you know, I, I think to your point, you're, you're talking about trying to navigate this labyrinthine system of ours. You know, it, I would imagine that's really why most consumers have poor experiences with their health plans. You know, I mean, you know, is that, is, do you think, do you find that that's the major, you know, pushback why consumers have such a low opinion of uh, of their insurer generally? 
Yeah, I mean, I think if you think about the heritage of of health insurance companies in the United States, it's not too different around the world, but it's like particularly the case in the United States. You know, they emerged, let's call it a half a century ago, principally to protect against tail risk, right? To protect against what happened to me, for example, like a catastrophic event happening and then people being underfunded to protect themselves financially. If you look at what health insurance companies are being asked to do today, it's quite different. It's it's really to do much more sort of population health, individual you know, navigation, you know, all these different kinds of care options, digital integration, you know, large scale analytics. So it's a very different problem that they're being asked to solve, yet they're using infrastructure, legacy infrastructure and technology from over a generation ago to try to do that. And I, you know, I joke, it's sort of like trying to emulate, you know, what you do on your iPhone or trying to emulate an electric car by using technology from 30 years ago. Like that's, that, that wouldn't work in any other industry. And it's one of the reasons we've taken kind of an enterprise technology approach to the problem, because we think it's much more of a technology problem than, you know, people have historically thought it was. Yeah. And I do want to get to that in a second, but, um, you know, I, I think, you know, you, you talked about how you are, uh, you know, really trying to uh, enable employers to really, de- uh, you know, develop and, you know, deliver, you know, a robust set of benefits and navigate through all these kind of options for them. Um, you know, so, you know, obviously we're, we're coming out of this period of COVID. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think one of the things too, to think about is, you know, how have expectations changed then? Not only from what employers are demanding or wanting from uh, their insurer, but also the consumers too. You know, what what are you know how, how is consumers' expectations for what you know they would want to expect and demand uh, from their insurer now? Well, they are they're absolutely changing. I think to the first point of your question. I mean, as you know, in the United States, again, we have a very idiosyncratic healthcare system, but it is what it is. Employers cover more people, more Americans than Medicare and Medicaid combined. Employers cover almost 160 million Americans and provide the vast majority of health benefit and health insurance to those people. So they are the largest buyers of health care in this country. Um, they, like any other part of their business, and especially for health care, which typically for an American employer represents the second largest expense after payroll. Um, want mechanisms to procure that health care with greater clarity, greater flexibility, greater understanding, and an ability to derive the greatest return on investment that they can, like they do from any other part of their business. And so, as you know, as well as anyone, better than anyone, employers have been, as a result, at the vanguard of pushing innovation in healthcare, whether it's Henry Kaiser and the Kaiser sort of permanente system that emerged from basically trying to provide care for shipyard workers, you know, more than 70 years ago to today where employers really are at the cutting edge of promoting and delivering all of these novel, almost direct to consumer type of healthcare products, whether it's fertility or behavioral health or primary care driven or whatever, on-site clinics, etc. And so they are and have been demanding more from their health insurance company in terms of that kind of flexibility and configurability in their systems. And again, that's why we have felt from the very beginning that it's really hard again to ask a combustion engine driven car company to all of a sudden like turn everything off and become an electric car company. It's why companies like Tesla have have emerged and been successful because they're singularly focused on that problem. Similarly, I think for the provision 
of employee healthcare, you need an enterprise technology type company. If you think about any other part of the business, whether it's HR with Workday or FP&A with NetSuite or managing your sales pipeline and CRM with using tools like Salesforce and Zendesk, there's a platform, there's a tech-driven approach and instrumentation to enable the employers and the companies more generally to do that well. And that's really the role that we play. That's why we only serve self-insured employers and we really view it as an enterprise technology type of a problem and user experience problem versus a health insurance problem. Because at the end of the day, if you're a self-insured employer, you're not asking the health insurance company to underwrite your risk. You're doing it yourself with your own balance sheet. What you're asking the health insurance company to do is configure and, and, and amalgamate a health benefit experience across all facets, not just medical, but dental, vision, pharmacy, point solutions, on-site care, near-site care, in an understandable, streamlined, easy to access and use user experience for your people. Yeah, and maybe let's let's talk about that this this experience and and, and you referred to it. I I thought um, uh, nicely is that it's really a technology issue. And so maybe talk about the technology in here. How, how is it that uh, you are able to kind of deliver this uh, very seamless and positive user experience? You know, maybe talk about what the underlying technology enables you to do and, and, and how that kind of compares with how traditional insurers are trying to deliver something similar. Yeah, so I, I would say that it, it really does come down to the way that we've approached our technology and data infrastructure. If you think about providing a health benefit plan or administering a health benefit plan, as people like to say, um, there are a number of functions that are required to do that correctly and to do it well, and then to do it at scale. Um, the first is just to understand, okay, what is the plan benefit and to be able to instantiate that in code. So like, okay, I have a PPO 500 plan. What does that mean? When, when does my deductible kick in? What are my co-pays? What are my co-insurance? Those are a set of rules basically that ideally a software-based machine would interpret and use to figure out, okay, Charles has met his deductible. I don't need to ask him to actually pay for anything more out of pocket. The plan will start to reimburse beyond this point, for example. Similarly, you need to have systems that understand, well, who's covered at any given time for this benefit? People come on and off of employee payrolls and in sort of complex type of employee environments, those people may come on and off those benefit plans also with a high degree of frequency. They may be seasonal workers, they may be hourly, there may be other kinds of employee criteria that you know, cause people to flip in and out of being covered. So again, the system needs to understand, okay, is this person covered? Is it accurate? Are they covered for now? Are they covered for the entire duration of their healthcare journey? You know, th there's technology basically and data that needs to power that. And then you need a claim system that then when you go to see someone for care, whether it's a physical doctor or a virtual one, doesn't really matter, understands, okay, how do I interpret what the, you know, the provider has just billed the plan? What does that person who's covered on the plan owe? What does the plan need to pay? What's the negotiated rate if there is one with that provider? And then adjudicate that flawlessly and do that across you know, billions of transactions and billions of dollars worth of care. Nowadays, in addition, employers, again, due to the demands of a very tight labor market and increasingly discriminating you know, employee bases, have to also add a whole bunch of other accoutrements to their health benefit plans, as you know. Many large employers have on-site clinics, they have dental clinics, 
A lot of them offer obviously dental and vision and other kinds of insurance, pet insurance, even sometimes for their health benefit plan. And the systems that were designed to just simply insure against a catastrophic health insurance event 40 or 50 years ago were not architected to handle this kind of evolution. They weren't architected to handle integrations with third-party systems to ingest data, to do large-scale post-processing analytics. They were quite simple and I would say quite brittle, regular expression-based systems that just took a simple claim, adjudicated that claim, and then pushed out you know, a piece of paper and a payment. You know, that EOB that we see is, is kind of like that, that the state of the art, if you will, of the technology for most health insurance companies. And obviously the way healthcare is consumed, accessed, paid for today is very different than it was 40 years ago. And therefore the tech stack that needs to underpin how all of that stuff is done needs to be decidedly quite different as well. You know, if I remember, you know, when you guys first started, I, I think you guys didn't actually do the, or maybe you weren't really planning to do the claims adjudication administration, right? You, you kind of had this great software layer uh, yep. And the idea is that employers would take that and integrate it to their existing health plans. But um, in, in the end, it seems like you, you, you realize you had to go full stack. You know, maybe talk a little bit about that, because I thought that was a very interesting development for you guys. Yeah, I mean, I think like any, like any, yeah, I'd say good technology startup, we tried to limit the scope um, and span of what we built to whatever was like the minimum required, because obviously trying to administer a health insurance plan is a complex endeavor. And if you're a, a few person startup, you try to do as little as you can and try to use open source and other third party capabilities to fill up you know, the rest of the gaps that you might have. But yeah, to your point, it quickly became apparent to us. It's one of the reasons why we didn't become just a navigation type of a company. It quickly became apparent to us that in order to really serve customers well and to sort of fix the problems that I encountered as a health benefit plan or health insurance plan customer, it wasn't enough and it wouldn't work to just be a layer. Whether you, what, you know, even if you were quote unquote integrated into a carrier system, you'd never have the kind of real time and unfettered access to the kind of data that you needed to serve customers well. And I tell people, you know, we became a plan administrator and built our own claims processing system for exactly the same reasons that Jeff and the team at Amazon, you know, decided to be a bookstore and decided to sell stuff because that's how you get unadulterated access to the kind of data that you need to serve your customers well. If you think about what Amazon does incredibly well, other than deliver you know, allow you to buy and deliver packages to your front doorstep reliably, you know, hundreds of millions of times a day across hundreds of millions or billions of people. They also, as a result of all that transactional data, have a very good understanding and can predict now when you might run out of something or when you might need something else. Healthcare is a very analogous problem. And most of us don't know that we're going to encounter healthcare issue, even if we have a chronic illness, until we encounter it even though there are very well-worn clinical patterns that an intelligence or machine learning based system could actually forecast. And it's one of the reasons why we've built our own risk models and have our own recommendation engine, if you will, that reaches out to people before they go over the proverbial healthcare cliff. And we wouldn't be able to do any of that if we didn't transact claims and process payments and do all of the kind of nitty gritty, you know, unglamorous stuff under the hood just like being a bookstore wasn't super glamorous until Amazon <laughs> made it so, right? Yeah. 
and, and then you you know a little bit ago, right? You you mentioned you know the discriminating consumer now demanding more and employers wanting to provide that. You know, since the pandemic, right? We we've definitely heard a, a proliferation of point solutions in the market, particularly in the digital health space. And uh, you know, employers are really you know inundated uh, with requests to you know, for people to to try to pilot them with these employers. Maybe talk about sort of the value that you can bring to employers and how you help them manage through, you know, all these different potential solutions available to them. Yeah, I'd say the I'd say the principal value that we provide to employers as they consider these these proliferating, you know, options that are in front of them, digital and otherwise, is a a chassis, you know, a software-based system, a chassis, kind of like an iPhone, like an operating system or an app store to plug and play different options on a time frame and with the ability to sort of analyze and understand the effectiveness of those options that you just can't get from a traditional health insurance company. And so, you know, I, I tell people these, these point solutions are emerging because the heavily intermediary dominated U.S. health insurance landscape or healthcare landscape is sort of not able to respond as athletically as is required to the way that care is evolving in our country, which is increasingly delivered at the home or to the customer in their pocket on a device, you know, and, and there's a proliferation of them. And so just like app stores came along on devices like the iPhone to help make sense of the proliferation of apps, an enterprise software platform like ours needed to emerge, I believe, to enable employer buyers to make sense of all of those apps that they're being asked to consider, whether it's a fertility app, family planning app, a women's healthcare app, primary care app, an onsite you know, app or clinic, a center of excellence. I mean, there's you know, thousands of them now. And so you, you need a capability to be able to say, okay, I wanna try this. And if it doesn't work, I wanna be able to rip it out easily without a lot of disturbance to my overall health benefit plan experience for my people. And that's a huge part of the value proposition of collective health. Yeah. You know, I think, I think, you know, for a while, a lot of, particularly the largest uh, U.S. employers, you know, they're, they're probably very well used to going out and vetting these uh, solutions themselves and, and building it together into a, an offering for their, for their employees. Are, are, are you seeing a shift even at the larger employer? I, Cause I can clearly see, you know, mid-sized smaller employers, you know, don't have the bandwidth or the capabilities to do that in-house and would look to someone like you to really help manage that. Um, curious whether you're starting to see that even at the larger, you know, you know, the big Fortune 500 companies saying, you know, is this the, really the best use of our time when we can, you know, rely on partners such as Collective? Yeah, we absolutely are. I mean, I, I kind of use the maybe bad analog of Gmail, right, or hosted mail, generally speaking. You know, and Gmail emerged, no self-respecting Fortune 500 company was going to run their entire enterprise mail capability on the Gmail cloud. And now fast forward, you know, almost 20 years, what, 17 years after Gmail launched, and literally everyone is running on something like that, whether it's Gmail or whether it's Microsoft's hosted mail. And no one has an email server and a mail closet in their in their in their corporate office. And I think this is no different. I mean, we, like Gmail, kind of started with the smaller and mid-sized employer and have been kind of moving up the employer size scale as we get larger, as we have more proof points to show those jumbo employers that, hey, it's not actually a really good use of your time or money to do this just for your own people. I mean, you can hire an army of you know, defense contractors, if you will, to do it for you, but it's probably 
better money better spent and time better spent using a platform like a collective health to do it. And again, I think all great enterprise software platforms have that kind of genesis, whether it's Salesforce, whether it's Workday, they kind of start with the small to mid-size, they prove out their worth, and then the larger companies sort of follow. And it makes sense because the procurement cycle and the kind of risk involved if you're a jumbo employer is significantly greater. So, you know, Ali, the, the space that you guys are operating in, uh, you know, if we if we want to call it, you know, disruptive new models for benefits, you know, it's been pretty active over the last several years. And, you know, I think investors are familiar with some companies, you know, such as, you know, Oscar Health that went public this year and Accolade a couple of years ago. Um, you can toss in Clover into that as well. You know, you know, for that person kind of listening in and maybe not as familiar with Collective Health, you know, how, how would you kind of describe the company, you know, fitting into that landscape and, you know, maybe what kind of re- in your mind differentiates you from, from those other companies? Um, I mean, it's a good question. So, you know, Oscar, Oscar started, I think, the year before we were in 2012. Um, Accolade, I think, was started in 2008. So it's been around about twice as long as we have. I think when when we started Collective Health, we felt like we wanted to operate in the employer market because that was kind of true to the origin story of you know why I wanted to do something. I was on an employer covered, self-insured employer covered plan at the time, and it was very kind of it was very true to the mission, if you will, to focus on something that enabled employers to provide health benefit plans better to people because that was the experience that I had. Um, and in so doing, we made a very conscious decision not to be an insurance company. Um, I did not want to spend valuable venture capital on reserves and underwriting medical risk. I just didn't think that was a very prudent use of early stage venture capital dollars. Now, whether or not that was the smart decision or not, just you know, given the fact that it looks like investors seem to you know, not feel like there's much of a difference in terms of you know, what multiples should be for a technology company versus an insurance company in this space, that was the decision that we've made. Um, and so that, I think, is what kind of makes us quite different from, I'd say, the Clovers and the Oscars of the world, which are, at the end of the day, they're insurance providers. They underwrite risk um, and they provide largely individual and Medicare Advantage plans. They're not in the employer, at least certainly not the enterprise employer segment like we are. On the other end, with respect, I'd say, like the accolades of the Quantums, they also emerged at a time very much, I'd say, is like a call center driven type of, of approach to you know, helping provide what I would call like insulation for a very bad health plan experience. And as they've emerged further, you know, providing navigation services to people who have quite complex care needs. And we fulfill some aspects or some facets of what, you know, uh, an accolade or a quantum would do. But we are also the plan at the end of the day, because, you know, just going back to my own experience, the employer plan that I was on had a very nice sort of concierge, if you will, that I could call. But at the end of the day, whenever I had to have something kind of serious um, addressed, I had to inevitably talk to the carrier that sat behind them. And I always felt like, well, why why can't the carrier actually do all this sort of stuff? And so being a technology company, we are the carrier for our enterprise self-funded customers. Um, And so from my perspective, I felt like the plan itself should offer that world-class level of service and that world-class level of navigation. And that should be intrinsic to administering a plan, just like providing great customer service is intrinsic to selling stuff um, or being a retailer in Amazon or, or you know other great retailers case. Like they shouldn't, you shouldn't have to have like a concierge sit in front of Amazon to make that Amazon experience great. Amazon should make the experience great. 
Right. And, and it sounds and in that case, right, to really create that end to end solution for your employers to really be able to, you know, uh, depend on you for the whole uh, suite of, you know, capabilities for for their for the employees. Right. Yeah. And, and truly, really be that cockpit or I don't like using the word front door because I think healthcare will always have multiple front doors. Like my primary care physician is always going to be a front door for me. I'm going to call them if I have a clinical issue before I ever call any insurance company, no matter how good or navigation company, no matter how good. That being said, we are sort of that place, that nexus, because we are the source of reimbursement for a plan where plan members naturally go to understand what's covered, to access their various options, not just medical, but like I said, dental, vision, pharmacy, point solutions, onsite clinic. Collective Health is designed to kind of bring all that stuff together in one place and then provide the reimbursement for, you know, whatever it is, whatever care it is that you end up seeking. So yeah, it's it's end to end in that sense. However, as I said earlier, we're not an insurance company. And that was a very sort of conscious decision because we felt like that would be a completely different problem to solve, trying to under, underwrite and understand risk. We do that, we forecast risk, we forecast payments, we pay all of the claims for employer customers, but we don't put our balance sheet and our own capital at risk. Right. And, and, you know, as you mentioned earlier, right, you're, you're sitting at this nexus and you're collecting all this data. Um, you know, m- maybe talk about that and how, how you are leveraging that. You, you mentioned, you made some examples a little bit earlier uh, about being able to predict actions and things like that, but maybe talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, so we, we use the data in a number of different ways. I'd say principally in two ways. The first is to understand the overall health of a population and how it's trending again to the prior point that i was making in order to help employers employer plan sponsors understand and forecast their healthcare cost exposure and various disease prevalence in their populations so that they can procure specific or tailored solutions for that population if you think about it no two employer populations are the same even within an industry category and obviously across categories, they're quite different. The kinds of people and the health characteristics of a company in the agriculture business, for example, is gonna be quite different than a company in the financial services or the entertainment business, right? Or technology business, they're quite different. And so a principal part of what we do from a data analysis standpoint is helping those organizations understand, okay, well, what does my population look like and what do they need? And then to enable them to actually put in place what they might need. On the individual side of things, we use claims and a lot of other data to help understand whether or not a member is a a high risk to their own health. And then if that is the case, to basically intervene and help them, obviously in in a gentle, tailored, highly secure manner, to suggest that they do something about their health before they encounter a catastrophic event. And so I tell people, actually, this is kind of my provenance. I mean, I built large scale ad systems at Yahoo and then AdMob Google after. And it's a very similar endeavor. You kind of observe what people buy, you observe what they do, and then you build up basically a profile of that person. And then you serve them individualized messages or ads suggesting things for them to buy or to do next. It's the same thing. I observe that someone who's of a certain age has missed their colonoscopy or missed their A1C screening if they're a diabetic or missed their mammogram if they're a woman. And, you know, according to certain characteristics is beyond the sort of acceptable envelope of risk. We will intervene 
and tell them through ad units basically that, hey, it's a good time to go and get your mammogram and here's why, or hey, it's a really good time to go get your colonoscopy and here's why. And it's really a large scale ad system at the end of the day. You know, and what's interesting here is that maybe talk about sort of the engagement that you do get from members, right? Because, you know, I think at the beginning, we just talked about how, you know, people typically don't have a good experience with their health insurer. So, you know, often if you get that message, you know, that's not really the phone call you really want to answer or the email that you really pay attention to, you know, talk about how you've been able to overcome that. Well, that issue is an interesting one, because I think what you're really speaking to is the fact that there's a low level of trust among among the American consumer when it comes to health insurance companies. Um, you know, if you just look at the average NPS scores of the major insurance companies, that probably sp- speaks volumes as to why that's the case. I think there just is a sense that the customer isn't really that important in most of the health insurance company's eyes. And so I, I tell people like, the reason I trust Amazon to give me a recommendation is not because I inherently trust Amazon, it's because they do everything else reliably and well. Like they'll refund me my money if I don't like something, they'll take a return back without any hassle. They make sure to deliver the, the package when they say they're gonna deliver it. So they do the basics of being a retailer really, really well. And I do it consistently over and over and over again and at scale. And so that gives them then, and, and I they've basically earned my trust at that point, to do more sophisticated things with my data, like be like, hey, I noticed that you like these things. Have you thought about maybe buying this thing over here? Or, hey, can I sign you up for a subscription because it looks like you run out of toothpaste on this day every month or you know every X weeks. And it's actually cheaper for you if you just subscribe because we can apply a volume discount to your purchasing. That's what we do basically in terms of earning our members trust. We do the basics of administering a health insurance plan really, really, really well. And that's, I think, reflected in our net promoter score, which I believe is over 80 right now across a very large population. And that then gives us, I think, the level of trust with our membership so that when we do say, hey, Allie, we noticed that you missed your colonoscopy. You know that over the age of 45, you should get a colonoscopy every five years. Here's why it reduces your risk of colon cancer by X percent, what have you. I'm much more you know, prone to saying, oh, thank you. Yeah, because you do all the this other basic stuff really well. I'm going to take your recommendation versus if I screw up your claims or I don't pay things correctly or I send you communications that are confusing just about the basic stuff, you'll tune me out. Yeah. And, and I imagine it's like those basics that really have brought a lot of your clients to you. It uh, is. And it keeps really drive the growth there. Yeah, yeah, it keeps right? That's the key. And that's why I tell, we have a mantra internally at Collective Health, which is be brilliant at the basics. Because the basics really do matter. You, you, I think a lot of people want to get fanciful in healthcare, but you need to walk before you run. Well, you know, for full disclosure, you know, Cowan, we, we are clients of Collective Health. And, and I know that I was calling once about my uh, dental benefits. And um, the, the person said, oh, you know, let me look, look into that. And I think I got a call back in five minutes and I, I was stunned. And yeah. I was very appreciative, but I, but I think to your point is the, the, the low bar that I think, you know, t- most people typically had for an insurer, but you know, that would be the basics, you know, just someone has a question, you say you're going to get back and, and you do, it was, it was a fantastic experience, but, yeah. um, you, you know, speaking of, uh, you know, growth and, uh, opportunities, you know, you, you guys recently signed a, signed a, a partnership with HCSC. Yeah. Um, 
know, obviously a, a, a very marquee uh, client to get on board. Maybe maybe talk a little bit about that and you know sort of what kind of the collaboration that you you think you'll be bringing and what you hope to to be able to deliver. Yeah, I'm I'm well, I'm very excited, obviously, about the HCSC partnership for a, a number of reasons. Um, I think, as you know, the Blue Cross Blue Shield associations have been natural partners and allies of ours from the very beginning. Our first, you know, payer partner was Blue Shield of California, and they remain, you know, our leading payer partner to this day. Um, and obviously, we're very grateful to their for their partnership and for you know their collaboration over the years. Um, and I think that's in significant part because of their heritage. Many of them are also not-for-profit organizations. In HCSC's case, they're actually community or member-owned. And so they tend to have less of a nakedly sort of profit-seeking um, objective as a, as a health insurance company. And as a result, I think they view you know, a technology enabler like us with less you know, competitive spirit than maybe a traditional national carrier that is more of a for-profit type of entity might. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why just historically we've had a lot of success with Blue Cross and Blue Shield associations across the country. Um, and I think hopefully that will continue. I think what's interesting about the HCSC partnership is I think it represents an evolution of what those partnerships look like. You know, historically, the partnerships have been with our with our payer partners have been sort of the payer provides, if you will, the network and some other capabilities, but largely the network and network access. And then we provide the administrative and sort of customer service um, and you know, platform, data platform, integration platform capabilities. And we've sort of gone to market jointly, but really effectively selling two products at once. And with HCSC, um, the partnership actually has them effectively selling collective health with their brand on it. So it's like HCSC powered by or presented by or provided by collective health. And they are the principal go to market channel. And so, you know, I, I tell people, and I may have even told you this at one point, I would love nothing more than as a result of all this effort over the years for us to actually move the health insurance industry to kind of adopt the practices that we have at Collective Health, even if it's not our brand that's, you know, front and center. Um, and I think what's great about this HCSC partnership is just that. It's sort of like that Intel inside moment for Collective Health where the biggest, you know, most important, most established incumbents um, in the health insurance space start to recognize that, yeah, we should probably run on this infrastructure um, versus trying to do it ourselves. And kind of goes back to the Gmail analogy. It's sort of like at some point, the biggest employers start to realize, I don't need that mail closet anymore. I don't know why I'm you know, hiring you know, people just to manage my mail server. I'll just hand it over to a cloud-based or hosted mail service. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, maybe to close out here, um, you know, what's next for Collective Health? Uh, you know, what should we be, you know, obviously you signed this partnership earlier this year. Um, I know you, you closed a, a recent round, a funding round as well. Uh, congrats on that. Um, you. you know, what, what should the investors be looking out for? Um, any, anything to, exciting to keep a... Keep a, keep I, I mean, I think, I think, you know, you've known us for almost all eight years that we've been in existence. You're one of the first people that we, we talked to. Um, I think more of the same. I mean, we've stuck to our knitting. You know, we've been, people have tried to cajole us to become everything from a health insurance broker on one end to a broad, you know, employer benefits administration platform on, on the other to an insurance, a risk-bearing insurance company on the other end. You know, they're, they're all attractive in their own certain way, but that's not who we are. Like we are an enterprise technology and service platform for self-insured employers. And 
we want to be as big and as successful um, as we can be doing that. And, and obviously there's plenty of fish to fry um, just doing that. So I think you should just expect us hopefully to acquire more customers, hopefully keep all of the ones that we already do have and you know just continue to build on our capabilities, whether it's from a user experience standpoint, clinical support standpoint, reporting and analytics, you know, integration standpoint, adding more networks, adding more partners onto the platform. That's great. Well, we look forward to uh, hearing more uh, from Collective and, you know, we'll you know, keep an eye out for all the progress you're going to make and uh, look forward to uh, catching up with you again uh, on a future podcast. Likewise. Thank you again for having me today. It was great to see you. Great. Great to see you too. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cowan Insights.